Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Hey, I don't know about you, but my mailbox, every time I go out to it, I get a postcard from someone saying they want to be one of my leaders. And uh, it's that season, you know, we've got an election coming up in, what, like three weeks from now, and, and it's the primary, and then I'm sure that for the next nine months, we're going to hear a lot from people that are volunteering to be our leaders, Leader, leadership is important. We all want leaders. I mean, there, there's an, a person alive that doesn't enjoy following a good leader. Uh, the problem is we don't exactly always know where that good leader will go. I mean, it, it, getting a crowd just takes being a good leader. Taking that crowd to the right place, that takes character. And uh, so we are, we are in that season when people are asking for us to support them, to vote for them, so that they can be one of our leaders and take us to where they want us to go. Uh, leadership is, is crucial. Uh, everything goes better with better leadership. We all know that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a couple of leaders, and they were good leaders. They will be good leaders. The problem with them is that they're going to take us someplace or want to take their people someplace that we don't want to go and uh, that we would never want to go. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because we're going we're gonna to look at Revelation 13, which if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, it, it is all about the Antichrist and the false prophet. There will come a time during the tribulation, which we believe is future, sometime uh, uh, yet to happen, when in the process of that, through the power of Satan, two people, two men probably, will rise up, and one of them, the primary one, has got the label of Antichrist. Uh, uh, Revelation actually only calls him a beast. It's so you got to go over to 1 John to find the label of Antichrist. And then the other one is his false prophet, his, or as one commentator called him, the minister of propaganda, the guy that's basically his PR agent that uh, gets everyone to follow him with great loyalty. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, if this is new to you and uh, unfamiliar, uh, let me just tell you, you can get up to speed pretty quickly by reading the book of Revelation. Let me just remind you what the book of Revelation is. book of Revelation is basically the recording of a dream or a vision that God gave to the Apostle John in about 95 A.D. He's a very old man, the last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. 
Patmos was a, uh, an island prison out in the Aegean Sea, kind of like Alcatraz, if you will. And uh, one Sunday afternoon, because John says it happened on the Lord's Day, he saw this vision, and God told him to write it down. And so we've been walking through that vision, John's recording of that vision. Now, what's really, really interesting is in that vision, the primary thing was how God, the Father, had a document that was in the form of a scroll. Remember one of those things you rolled up? And that scroll was sealed seven times. And with each seal that you broke open, more of the document was revealed. And it had seven seals. And when you got to the seventh seal, you found out that the seventh seal actually was seven more judgments. Each seal revealed a judgment. The seventh seal revealed seven more judgments. And when you get to the end of that seventh judgment, it says there's seven more. And so it's all kind of lined up, and, and, and it's a season. We believe it's about a seven-year period of time. We call it the tribulation, the great tribulation, that these, these seven seals tell about that have at the culmination of it all seven more judgments and then seven more judgments on top of that. It's a real, real intense time when God is basically enacting justice. He's trying to make all things right. He's trying to bring about that kingdom and get the people ready to receive the king, his son, Jesus Christ. The first time he came, they rejected him. Rather than putting him on a throne, they put him on a cross. And so he went back to heaven. But he came with, left with the promise that he would come again and that's when his kingdom would be established. And so basically this, this tribulation that we've been talking about, the book of Daniel calls it a week, the 70th week of Daniel. It, it basically has as one of its primary purposes to, to get the world ready to receive Jesus. The world blew it the first time he came. God doesn't want us to blow it the second time he comes. So the judgments are there, not just so that God can met out justice, that's part of it, but it is to soften up the world so that the world would be ready to receive Jesus Christ. Well, Satan knows all this. Satan is the archenemy of God. And so as part of his strategy, what Satan does is he raises up a antichrist, a, a, a false Christ, a, a pretend Christ. And the book of Revelation in chapter 13, that's where we are in the story, it, it describes this antichrist, this beast as it labels him and his false prophet, as he's labeled in chapter 19, verse 15, I think it is. So you got your Bible, look at Revelation chapter 13, and uh, you might be saying, now wait a minute, didn't, didn't last week we uh, talk about uh, chapter uh, 11? What are you skipping chapter 12? 
Now, we didn't skip chapter 12. You might remember this, probably don't remember it, but back on the Sunday after Christmas, we actually looked at Revelation 12 because in a way, it's kind of like the Christmas story from heaven's perspective. Don't do it now, but you might want to read through chapter 12 and you'll learn all about how a mother gave birth to a son who was the Christ, and how Satan, pictured as a dragon, tried to kill him. But when he couldn't successfully kill him or eliminate him or keep him from his mission, that son went back to heaven, and then the dragon turned all his attentions on the woman. And as we understood that when we considered it, the proper way to understand chapter 12 is it's talking about how the people of Israel basically were the conduit through which God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is to be the Savior of the world. And from the very beginning of Jesus' life, Satan was always trying to keep him from accomplishing his purpose of dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And when that was accomplished, Christ went back. And so what does Satan do? Second half of chapter 12 says that he turns all of his attention against the mother, the woman, Israel, and he was persecuting Israel. So we're going to jump right into the story at chapter 13 and look at verse 1. It says, and he, that's referring to Satan, the, bee, the, the dragon that was described there in the first couple verses of chapter 12. It says, And he stood on the sand of the seashore. So Satan is standing there, and, and, and it's like he's on the seashore. And, and you know, one of the things we've kind of seen is that land refers to the land where God's people are, and the sea was kind of the, the collection of all these unbelievers. And so Satan's kind of right there in the middle of it all, taking his stand. And look what John saw coming up out of the sea. Let me just read it for you. He sees this beast. He says, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, it's Satan, he's referred to this as a dragon back in chapter 12, verse 3, verse 3 and 4. And the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, they worshipped Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? 
And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb. Who has, been slain, who has slain. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he's going to go. If anyone's killed to the, with, the sword, with the sword, he must be killed. Here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Now let's just stop here. What he's talking about here in this part of his vision is he is talking about how the how at some point during this, this season that we call the tribulation, this seven-year period of time, he's talking about how through Satan's power there will arise this leader who is going to take authority. Now, like I said, John refers to him just here as a beast. Over in 1 John, he refers to him as Antichrist. When Daniel, the prophet Daniel, is talking about him, he calls him a prince who will come. That passage, you've got to be really careful. That passage talks about the prince, but then it also talks about the prince who will come. This is the prince who will come. And, and this is the guy that has, is, is given great authority by Satan. Remember, Satan has been granted that authority given that privilege to, to rule this world. God has given him that long of a leash, if you will. And Satan gives this man the power to basically become a world leader, the single world leader. Now, you know, initially, you know, you might sit and say, now, wait a minute. I mean, one guy is going to take over the world? You know, that really isn't that hard to believe. I mean, the longer time goes the easier it is to see that happening. I mean, if you sit and pay attention to world events, honestly, there are, the, the world, in a way, is run by less than a dozen people. I mean, you think about our president. We, we often refer to him as the leader of the free world. And you could think about the other side and you know, there's two or three people there that are vying for the leader of the, I guess you'd say, the unfree world. I mean, well, here, here, right there, you boil it down, there's like five people, maybe, that are ruling. And each of them seems to have about half. I mean, it doesn't take that much imagination to think that if enough things happened, if there was enough of a of a crisis, if there was enough of a world uh, crisis, that one person among those could emerge and he becomes the leader. The world is getting so small with our 
communication with our iPhones, with our smartphones, with our satellite TVs and satellite radio. I mean, we now know. I mean, it's like we know what's happening over there. They know what's happening over here. And, and we can see how that leadership could all be focused in and granted to one person. What's interesting about this is I think this is the guy that was referred to when the first seal was broken. If you go back to chapter 6 and you look at, I think it's verse 2, it talks about the first seal in that document was broken, and here's this guy riding out on a white horse, and he's got a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows, and he's going out to conquer, and sure enough, he conquers. It's almost like the world, this guy has presented himself in such a way that he has offered his leadership to the world, and the world's saying, we need you. We need you now more than ever. And as a whole, the world adopts him as their leader because this problem is bigger than the problem of east and west or north and south or people that have nukes and people that don't have nukes. This is a bigger problem. We've got to unite because if we don't unite, we are all going to die. We're all going to fall. And so somehow... This person, Satan uses some world event to bring this person into leadership. I think that's what the first seal was all about, and that's what's being described here for us. And just look at it. And, 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 and you know, I was telling Vicki this morning, I have just been, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether the pills I take are, uh, are uh, they're all prescription, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know whether they're, you know, just messing with me or something, but boy, this last week, I have just had the weirdest dreams. And, uh, you know, I was driving the church van in our neighborhood down Bill Rogers going towards the big, huge mansion, not the country club, but the big, huge mansion that's at the other end of Bill Rogers. And I was driving it, but for some reason, I was on the very back row of that 15-passenger van. And we were getting close to the end of the road, and I thought, you know, I probably ought to get up there in the passenger seat, in the driver's seat, so I could press the brakes. And before we got to the end of the road, I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep. That, that was last night's wild dream. And, and, you know, I've just been having these wild dreams. So this is a dream, and, and every detail, I think, means something, but it's wild, and, you know, we sit and look at it, and it's like, okay, how in the world is that? I mean, it's tough to, to, to figure it. So look at, look at verse 2 there. I mean, he sees this beast coming up out of the sea. He's got ten horns. He's got seven heads. On each horn is a diadem, which is a crown that's kind of a, 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 a crown that signifies you uh, earned that authority. The crown that King Charles got a few months back, that wasn't a diadem. He got that because he had the right blood. These guys got, this guy's getting his because he was, has the right power and the right authority and all that stuff. He had to earn it. Uh, but see, so he's got these, these ten horns, he's got seven heads, ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, why is he looking like that? You know, is, is it referring to seven of this and ten of that and something else and going on? Probably, and you can get into the weeds on all this stuff, but it's really hard to know just exactly what that means. But the point is, is here is this guy that the Bible has referred to many, many times 
And he's like this world leader, and maybe, it, he, maybe his origins came out of uh, like a, a, a ten-thing confederacy or a seven-part this or a, something else that happened. Maybe he's a military man and he had seven great victories, maybe seven D-days that uh, earned, or ten D-days that earned him these diadems. But the most important thing there is he's got these blasphemous names. This is not a guy that is up there who at the end of the battle said, man, I just want to take a moment here to praise my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this great victory that he has given me. No, this guy is all about himself. Why? Because he is empowered by Satan. He is energized by Satan. And so all over him are these blasphemous names, these blasphemous labels. And look at verse uh, 2. Now, if you're familiar with Daniel... By the way, if you're not familiar with Daniel, you ought to go at 9.30 because we actually are having a class on Daniel, and pretty soon they're going to get to chapter 7 and 8 and 9 that talk about the future, and it talks about a leper and a bear and a lion and all that stuff. I mean, he's also like that. This beast, which I saw, was like a leopard, and on his feet were like, uh, like the bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his authority and his power and his throne. And I'll come back to this in verse 3, but one of his heads looked like it had been slain, as if it was a fatal wound. How in the world did he ever recover from that one? That was a bad one. We'll get back to this in a little bit. And what does he do? Because of him, are people praising God? And worshiping Jesus Christ? No, verse 4. Because of him, they are worshiping the dragon. I mean, they literally are becoming more and more satanic because of this man's activity of what he's accomplishing. And they're saying, man, who is like the beast? I mean... You know, if the polls are, will be taken at that time, instead of having like a 33% approval rating, this guy's going to be having a 103% approval rating. Who's like the beast? Who could ever wage war against him? Verse 5, and they were given to him a mouth that speaks arrogant words and blasphemies. And he's going to be given a lot of authority to act for 42 months. Boy, we keep seeing that, 42 months, 1,260 days. It's like that's referring to that second half of that season, that seven-year period of time we've been calling the tribulation. And it's like he's, he's got a lot of authority, but boy, for those last 42 months of that seven-year period, he's really got it. And he opens his mouth and he blasphemes. All of that stuff is going on. And notice how much power he gets. Everyone is worshiping him. Everyone, that is, except verse 8, except those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. People that are saved. People that are saved. Tribulation saints, people that are alive at that time, that trust Jesus Christ in the finished work of Calvary, how do they get saved? 
probably through the testimony and the witness of those 144,000 that we saw that were introduced back in, uh, what was it, chapter 7? And we heard about them again in uh, chapter 11. Uh, Or excuse me, we'll hear about them again in chapter 14. Those people evidently are telling people about Christ. And so the message is still out there. Remember last week we talked about the two witnesses and and those people were, were, those guys are performing miracles and they're shutting up the sky so that it's not raining and uh, all kinds of things. And so people are hearing the gospel and people are getting saved. People that are getting saved, they recognize who this leader is and what he's all about, and they're not worshiping him. But everyone else is worshiping this guy. So that's why in verse 9, John says, man, if you got ears to hear, you need to hear this. This is really going to happen. Pay attention. Think about how this is going to impact life. Verse 10, man, the person destined to captivity. I mean, he's going to go to captivity. The person destined to die, he's going to die. These things are happening. All because of the work of this Antichrist who has been given this authority by Satan during this time when literally all hell is breaking loose. So you just sit and think about this. I mean, okay, here is, here is God. You know, all of these judgments that were revealed in the seals and then revealed in the trumpets, and ultimately we'll see they're revealed in the bowls, which, are, which we haven't even gotten to yet. All of those were, were designed by God to point people back to him. To get people, rather than shake their fist in God's face, they get down on their knees and say, God, what have I missed? God, I want to be on your side. I want to be looking to you for life solutions. I I want to fully understand this, this Jesus Christ who came that everyone said was significant. All of those things that God was doing are being counteracted, being opposed, being uh, uh, opposed by Satan, and he's primarily doing it through the work of this world leader that we're calling the Antichrist, which John calls, or, or the, which John calls the Antichrist. Here he calls him the beast, and the book of Daniel calls him the prince who will come. Look at the next uh, half of the chapter. We'll consider this, and then we're just going to stop and kind of say, so what? There's not just the, the beast that comes on the scene. There's the false prophet. Now, this passage doesn't refer to him as false prophet, but if we were to go over to Revelation 19, towards the end of the story, you find out that this beast and his false prophet, so that must be referring to this beast, that it's the second beast that's being taught, they're thrown into the lake of fire. They, they finally get their just desserts when Jesus Christ comes. But 
So we're just going to here call him the false prophet. Look at verse 11. He says, And I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Remember, you know, the, one of his heads, the first beast, one of his heads looked like it had this fatal wound. Well, evidently that fatal wound was healed through this guy's work. Verse 13, and he performs great signs. This guy can do miracles. Whoa, he must be of God if he does miracles. No, the Bible is full of evil, evil people doing miracles. Remember Moses? He did all those great miracles. And so did Pharaoh's priests, who were not doing them in the spirit and power of the true and living God. They turned water into blood. They brought gnats about. They caused all kinds of things to happen. I mean, Satan can perform miracles. Just because someone can perform a miracle doesn't necessarily mean they're of God. This guy is not at all of God. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Oh, wow, think about that and compare that to what we saw last week in the ministry of the two witnesses. At the very same time that when someone comes and opposes them, they have the power, just like Elijah had, to toast someone. Well, so does this guy's. This guy has that same power. No wonder people were not listening to the two witnesses his miracles, they trumped those miracles. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on earth because of the signs which, he, which uh, was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Now we're learning a little bit more. It's almost like this guy got wounded, got a fatal wound, actually died, and has come back to life. My goodness, it's like this guy's been raised to, to, from the dead. He really is an antichrist. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, no big deal. Our guy rose from the dead too. Verse 15, and there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Now, I don't really fully understand this part Hardly at all, but it's almost like he, they create this big image that everyone's supposed to worship, and somehow he makes the, the image appear to come to life or to appear to have breath in it. That image of the beast might uh, even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I mean, who's not going to be worshiping the beast or who's not going to be worshiping the image? Believers, those people that, was refer, that were referred to up there in verse 8. A true believer during that time, someone that has come to know the Lord through the ministry, say, of the 144,000, they come to know who Jesus Christ really and truly is. And they're not going to worship the beast. They're not going to worship his image. And it's going to cost them their life. 
I mean, the, old t- the book of Revelation refers to martyrs all throughout it. Lots of people will die because of their faithfulness to the Lord. Verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Oh, this is where that is, the mark of the beast. This guy, this second, be- this second beast, this false prophet, this minister of propagation, <laughs> propaganda, I mean, this guy comes up with, a mark that you have. Wow, is that a tattoo? Maybe that's a chip. Who knows? I don't know. But somehow this guy gives people some kind of form of identification. And he provides, verse 17, that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Wow, when we were in Rome last year, you know, all I needed was my cell phone, my, my iPhone open to the right app, and I just had to put it right there, and I could get on the subway and travel all over there. Wow, I can go to Walmart. In fact, I did it yesterday. I bought the groceries we needed, and all I did was pull out my cell phone. Imagine if someone would make it so I didn't have to carry that. Maybe it was just a chip in my ear or whatever. I waved my hand, and you know they would have taken the sixteen ninety-five out for the bananas and the... I'm not going to tell you else what else we bought, but all that stuff. I mean... Shoot, man, that, that's, that almost sounds like that could happen. It's getting realistic here. And look at verse 18. Here's where something else comes about that you never saw before. You might want to put these down. You know, you never know. You might be doing Bible trivia. Where does it talk about the mark of the beast? Oh, that's in chapter 13, verse 16. Where does it talk about that thing about 666? Wow, it's right there in verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. And that's where we're going to stop. Wow, what does that mean? Sounds like he kind of got an understanding of what the mark of the beast might be. What's 666? Well, let me just tell you, I went to four years of Bible college. I went to four years of seminary. I got a three-year doctorate. I don't know. Okay, and if someone else tells you they know, they're lying, or they're fooled, or they're deceived. Nobody knows what this means. About the best thing you can make is that we, we, we've seen that seven is like evidently this very special number, you know, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls, seven hornock children, you know, it's just the perfect number. And six is one shy of it. It just doesn't measure up. This guy is the ultimate that doesn't measure up. Beyond that, you can't really get much of it. I promise you, I am not the Antichrist, but if you looked at my wallet and you pulled out my Texas driver's license that I got 43 years ago when I went to seminary, my number, my Texas driver's license is blah, 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 666. And I couldn't believe it when the guy issued it to me there in Richardson, Texas, back in 1981. You know, I I looked at that and I said, look at that. And the guy evidently was, I don't know whether he was a believer or not, but he looked at it and he said, 
whoa, I wouldn't want to tell too many people that. Well, I have to tell people that all the time. It's one of the only things I can remember. My social security number and my Texas driver's license, I can tell it. Why? Because it ends in 666. Uh, I once heard a preacher that uh, had to ask for a new set of license plates because his numbers were 666, and he thought that might be bad for job security. I don't know. But uh, what it means, I don't know. But that's his number. So what have we seen here? We've just kind of jumped into the story, which hopefully you're tracking along, and we saw that in this pause between a couple of the judgments where John is telling us a whole bunch of things like, hey, there's two witnesses. Hey, here's how, it, here's how the dragon came to where he got to start persecuting the nation of Israel so much. And, oh, by the way, there's these two leaders, beast one and beast two, and they are horrible, and they are going to be the primary agents through which Satan is going to keep diverting people away from what God's purpose really and truly is. So what do we do with all this? Well, I always like to ask the question, so what? And so here as we we bring this back, you know, I just want to ask that, okay, with this little slice of the story, what's the so what? Well, I mean, you could make a ton of them, but I just want to make two. Here's the first one. And that is, we need to get ready. See, because it's not in this passage, but it's in the bigger scheme. You know what? If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you're not going to be here when this happens. I firmly believe the Bible speaks of a rapture. Uh, Jesus said, if I go away, I'm coming again. So that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ is coming to take, to receive us into his presence. Hopefully, uh, Judy's pastor on Wednesday morning will read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that I think describes this rapture. Don't be grieving as those that have no hope. Here's what's going to happen. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. There's going to be a shout of the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. See, it's describing Jesus Christ coming to take. Well, I thought Jesus was coming to stay. Yeah, that's what we call his second coming. That's what chapter 19 is all about. But in John 14, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about this, this, this coming that is in a twinkling of an eye. Blink and you'll miss it. That's what we look forward to. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, the next thing on the list for you is not that first seal getting broken open. We're gone. I, I, I firmly believe that, that in, in, in what's called a pre-tribulational rapture. Some people don't, but they're free to be wrong. So that's okay. Just, just, just got to throw in some jokes here for some of you people. Uh, I, I honestly believe that you and I need to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ could come. Jesus Christ could come before noon. By the way, it's 1159. 
He could come at any time. And if, as a believer, as a person who has followed Jesus Christ as personal Savior, who's trusted in him, I need to live in light of that. Doesn't mean I'm irresponsible. Doesn't mean I take my credit cards and max them out because that'll be someone else's business. The trouble is, I might still be here next month and have to deal with them. You know, it, 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 but I live, should live, in light of Jesus' soon return. You say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah. But I also remember what 2 Peter says in chapter 3. Don't count that as it ain't going to happen. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Don't count the slowness of God as if it ain't going to happen. It's in the Richard Living Bible, but it's also in 2 Peter chapter 3. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. You need to get ready. What does it mean to get ready? It means to keep your eye to keep at the front of your head the fact that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And when you do that, 1, Peter, 1 John chapter 3 says, He who has that purifies himself daily. Are you ready for the Lord's return? You need to get ready. You need to leave a, lead a life that is ready. You know, I just got to stop right here. I mean, maybe you're not ready. And maybe you're not ready because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You know, I, I know I flew through this chapter, and I've had to fly through all these chapters, basically. But the truth of the matter is, we've been studying about a season that is going to come on the face of the earth that is horrible. People are going to be dying like crazy. Evil is going to be so rampant. And those who do not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior will endure it if they don't die first. If, if when that commences, you do not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, the things that, described, that have been described in this book will be your experience. You might be one of those four billion that get to get out of there early because you die a premature death from some horrible disease or war or famine or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ is the solution to it all. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, first and foremost thing you need to do to get ready is to trust in him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that is the first and foremost thing you need to do. It is more important than anything else on your agenda, anything else on your calendar. There really is only one question that is important, and that is, are you rightly related to God? And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, if you've never come to that place in your life where you realized you are spiritually bankrupt, and yet Jesus Christ died for you so that he could give you eternal life, that's the first thing you've got to do. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. The first so what about all of this is you need to get ready so that you're not here 
when something like this could happen. And you know what the second so what is? And this applies to all of us that would say, well, I, I am ready. We need to start helping other people get ready. You know, I, as I was going through this passage, and it had been a long time since I've taught this passage, but I was amazed at how realistic this thing is. That, that, that's one of my observations of the whole book of Revelation, because I've taught Revelations several times. I never preached through it on a Sunday morning like we're doing, but I've taught through it several times over the last million years. And uh, one of the things that I've really hit on this time, and I think it's because the world has changed so much in the last four, five, seven years. This stuff is realistic, honestly. I mean, to say there's a one-world ruler, one ruler that would take over the world, you know, if I'd have said that 20 years ago, it's like, fat chance. But you know what? Now, it doesn't seem that hard. Honestly, I mean, power, like I said, is, is rest with less than a dozen people and probably not even five. And to think that one of them or someone like them emerged as the world leader, you'd have to say, yeah, that, that's realistic. And you know what? Almost everything we've seen, starting in chapter 6 on, seems very realistic. Now, does that mean I think Christ is going to come before the Super Bowl? I wish, but I don't know. I mean, he could take another 500 years. He could take another 2,000 years. But I'm saying it is more realistic now than it honestly ever has been. When it says every aisle see him, man, as soon as everyone gets a smartphone, that will be true. Every eye could see him. That's the kind of world we're living in. It wasn't like that 25 years ago. We've got to help people get ready. And you know, one of the best ways to help people get ready is actually that verse that I read or referred to in 1 John 3. When you have your eyes on the fact that he's coming, you purify your life. You pay attention to your to your life and your doctrine and people meet you and they recognize you've got something that they don't have and they want it. That's what Jesus was referring to in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you are the light of the world. And, and you and I need to be the light of the world to people that should Christ come back before the Super Bowl will be left behind. You know, we can, we can talk theology all day long, but what it really boils down to is people having a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting in him for eternal life. And I hope you've done that. And I know you really would hope that your loved ones and your friends and your acquaintances have done that after a passage like this of looking at these two really evil guys, I, I can't think of anything more practical than us walking away saying, you know what, I am really going to start praying and looking for opportunity to share with X that Jesus Christ 
came to be their Savior. And they really would understand that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what we've seen today. And Father, I, uh, I just pray that... Uh, I pray, Father, we would get this application. Father, if there's anyone here today that is not absolutely certain of his or her salvation, they've never come to that place in their life when they've trusted in Jesus Christ alone, I pray that they would do that. They'd recognize it isn't money, it isn't church attendance, it isn't being a good person, it is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray, Father, that today we would just be so passionate about making sure people know and have the opportunity to trust in the one that saves, Jesus Christ. It's in his name, Father, that we pray this. Amen.